All right, so I am doing this in the airport on my way back to Atlanta, um, which is why, A, uh, the audio quality might not be quite as good as usual since I don't, you know, I could not find room in my uh, my luggage for uh, the headset. Um, and B, you may hear the occasional announcement in the background with any luck that just... Uh, lend some charm to the proceedings uh, and rather than being uh, rather than being annoying. So uh, we will see. But in any case, uh, so I just got back from doing two things back first, which has been planned for a very long time was a trip to Toronto. Uh, so this is actually the first time I've been out of the country since COVID and uh, on that trip to Toronto, uh, I did uh, two things, uh, at least in terms of public events. So the first one was that I gave a, a reading from the Christopher Hitchens book at the Duke of York pub on Thursday night. And then the second is that I gave a uh, philosophy talk on Marx and Rawls and Cohen and philosophical liberalism at Ryerson University on Friday night. And... Both of those were really good. Attendance was good. Discussions were fantastic. Uh, really enjoyed the trip to Toronto all around. You know, got to meet a bunch of local leftists, people like um, Luke Savage. I uh, was a staff writer for Jacobin who lives in Toronto, who's, you know, who's been on my show a bunch of times. And, you know, and I'm always talking to him on, you know, group chats and stuff. But it's the first time that uh, I'd seen him in person or Arjun from uh, the Deep Into History podcast. I had lunch with him on Friday. So that was all really good. Um, and then I... Is uh, this event uh, um, called Better Discord Meets Policy? I didn't really want to just argue with people about conspiracy theories because that's not really my bag. Uh, but this is the only one that sounded like anything to do with policy. So I was like, all right, if we keep it policy heavy, I'm happy to do it. So basically it was a debate about the upcoming midterm elections. Not so much what's going to happen, because I think we all agreed on that, right? Um, I think that given the Biden administration and the Democratic leadership's uh, complete failure to do much of anything that's going to inspire the base to turn out in the midterm, which, you know, they were, you know, given the sort of pattern, I mean, I understand it's a small sample size, but you know, since they haven't Not just that general pattern, but also this whole series of things, some of which were his fault, some of which were not his fault, that, you know, are going to be bad for him in the uh, the election. 
So given that, you know, given that, um, I think that the fact that he he is going to uh, to take this beating in the midterms, you know, is not some, you know, I mean, I think we kind of all agree on that. Uh, the real question is whether that's a good thing. Uh, and that's really what we were arguing about, right? So it was me and three right-wingers. Uh, one of them was this guy, Andrew, who I had done a video about. I'd, I'd done a live stream about, I should say, uh, on Give Them an Argument. Um, I had Rob Larson and Juliana Forlano on, and we watched a video where he's uh, essentially uh talking about how low-wage workers who can't support their families have no one to blame for themselves. Uh, that is, that sounds uncharitable, but that is literally what he was arguing in the video. Um, another was Lisa Reynolds, who I'm not familiar with previously, but it sounded like she works in D.C. in some capacity. I'm not totally clear. Uh, <laughs> you know, I have to say that she kind of had the appearance and affect uh, down to this like tiny dog that, you know, she kept with her and, you know, her speech patterns and everything of um, like a Republican chick on like an old episode of the West Wing uh, who would be like a media figure. But in any case, so there was Lisa Reynolds, there was Andrew, and then there's uh, Sean uh, Fitzgerald who uh, I guess does YouTube stuff as actual justice warrior who is like, you know, whatever, somebody I deeply, deeply disagree with by, you know, by far the least ridiculous person on that panel. Uh, and so it was about what, from my perspective, is all the horrible stuff that is likely to happen uh, when, and it probably is when, uh, the Republicans uh, sweep the election in the fall. So, um, you know, I should say... Well, I do want to talk a little bit about, you know, I do want to talk a little bit about um, the conference more generally and why some people thought I shouldn't have gone and, you know, why I did anyway and all of that stuff. Um, and I'll kind of back up and do that in a few minutes. And anybody who wants to call in who has a perspective on that, you know, who thinks maybe I shouldn't have gone or just has questions or thoughts. Uh, please do call in and, you know, happy to chat about that. Just get in the queue now and I'll take you when I see you. Um, since I don't have the headset with me today, that's why I've been kind of going silent for a second once every couple minutes so I could check to uh, to make sure nobody's in the queue. Uh, but in any case, the actual content of the, uh, the panel, um, you know, I will say that, uh, you know, when I can't, you know, that I wasn't quite sure what to expect, but um, but the actual content of the panel was that the moderator kind of started out and he listed off a bunch of sort of policy questions and to kind of say, like, what do you guys want to talk about? Or really the way he framed it was what are, like, voters going to care most about, which is not really what I'm most interested in doing. Um, I'm, you know, I'm interested in arguing about policy. <laughs> uh, if you want to just know what you know, what voters list of priorities are, you know, you can, you can kind of like just read the polls. Like I don't, I don't really see a lot of value added there to have political commentators come in and sound off on that. But in any case, um, and 
then the three, you know, the three right wingers all kind of seized on the education one because, of course, what they want to talk about is, you know, CRT and uh, the, you know, and um, the DeSantis bill in Florida, which, of course, they don't want to call "Don't Say Gay," although that's exactly what it is, uh, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right? That's what they want to talk about. That's the, you know, that's the thing that uh, that's their. Uh, that's their jam, obviously. Uh, and then it kind of came around to me last and I was like, well, look, you know, uh, what I, you know, what, um, what I would like people to care about is healthcare and wages and unions and, uh, daycare, you know, universal pre-K, um, you know, giving, you know, giving workers, you know, more say at the workplace, et cetera. Uh, but of course it's very unsurprising that, you know, Republicans want to talk about all this manufactured, culture war nonsense, or I think contrived culture war nonsense is the phrase I used. And then pretty immediately, the Republicans on the panel got very huffy about that. Uh, Lisa in particular, you know, was like, you know, what do you mean, you know, contrived? You know, are you saying that, you know, parents who are outraged at their little children being exposed to this and that and the other thing, you know, or just, you know, like that, you know, that they're just making it up, you know, contrived. And so we, you know, we got into it uh, about the content of the bills and uh, why I think the whole thing's a ridiculous moral panic and why I think the sort of basic function of it is to, uh, is to change the subject from economics. Because, of course, uh, at the beginning of the Trump era, and, you know, in a weird way still, uh, there are all these Republicans who are pretending that now they're economic populists. You know, they're not like William F. Buckley, Wall Street kinds of Republicans. You know, they're this new anti-corporate kind of populist Republicans. And of course, in policy terms, it's total nonsense. There's no there there. Um, so we got into it back and forth about the classroom censorship bills and um, and about um you know, and about my, you know, more general take on the Republicans and, you know, why the right is full of shit on these issues. Um, and uh, <laughs> the most fun moment, I will say, I don't want to spoil it because we are definitely going to play the video on GTAA. Uh, as soon as I get it, the guy said yesterday, the guy, the organizer is talking to said probably in about a week, the video for us uh and we will certainly you know put that up as soon as we got it uh but in any case uh (laughs) you know i think that uh the most fun moment came when lisa made a claim about Karl marx and what he said or didn't said that i think kind of might actually let's put it this way um i think it might make jordan peterson's reading of the communist manifesto and that 2019 debate with the slav boy in toronto look like you know reasonable and like a, you know and like a fair interpretation of what marx is saying uh so you know that was fun um some of it ended up being about foreign policy stuff and how you know the uh right wingers on the panel trying to square the circle of not having to actually defend continuing to stay in afghanistan for another five years 10 years 20 years but still say somehow that all the chaos was biden's fault for you know for just doing it wrong uh, and, you know, and a lot of it was just sort of me generally trying to remind anybody who's watching who might be open to this message that the only options aren't like Biden and mainstream American liberalism and these people, right? You know, that there is a, there is a 
third and much better position uh, from uh, from the socialist left that's appealing, that, you know, defends free speech, that, uh, you know, against all of these, you know, censorship bills, you know, coming out of Republican state legislatures, uh, but, um, you know, but what, which doesn't just want to get lost in the cultural back and forth forever and wants to focus on actual material redistribution to help the lives of ordinary people. You know, that's the message that I was trying to uh, to get across. And, you know, when you got this wall, you can, of course, uh, judge for yourselves, you know, whether I succeeded in that mission. But what I really want to focus on now, you know, before I do take a call, which I will, if anybody, you know, gets in the queue and wants to kind of weigh in on this to agree or disagree or just express some thoughts or ask questions. Uh, what I really want to get into now is uh, the sort of broader question of whether to do this, whether this is a good thing to do. And, you know, I think that this is something that's always going to come up anytime you're, you know, debating right wingers who, you know, think evil, horrible things, which, of course, is redundant, uh, you know, uh, from my perspective, you know, they all do. But, um, you know, but I think that this is something that, you know, it came up a little bit. Uh, even with Charlie Kirk last year, even though I think, you know, um, that's probably the recent, you know, debate that I, you know, or discussion I've done that had the least, um, you know, that one was definitely a debate, but, you know, compared to say my discussion with Joe Rogan, the Charlie Kirk one was like relatively uncontroversial on the left. People tended to like that. Uh, but even there, right, there were a few people who were like, oh no, you shouldn't have done that, you know, because, uh, you're legitimizing Charlie Kirk. Uh, by talking to him and, you know, being polite and not just like, you know, screaming at him and, you know, denouncing him, <laughs> uh, which, you know, which is, um, you know, which is like, you know, sounds like a caricature, but I think that's literally what a lot of people think, right? That the, uh, even with like somebody like Charlie Kirk, you know, who has a massive audience, uh, the sort of debate that they would be willing to, you know, they maybe think you just shouldn't talk to him at all because that legitimizes him. Or if you do talk to him, you know, you should just treat it like, uh, you know, Ben Glebe, the dolphin fetus guy, Google that later. If you don't know <laughs> what I'm talking about, uh, because having, you know, like sort of doing what I did in that debate, which is, you know, try to, you know, forcefully hammer home, uh, the gap genuinely giving a shot uh, had you know adopted since the trump era um that you know with, but doing that in a way that's still you know polite because if you just sort of come you know come into it acting like an asshole then whoever is persuadable whoever is in charlie's audience who is in the right place at the right time to actually hear that message just isn't going to, you know, is going to shut it off if it just sounds a huge asshole. So even that some people had a problem with, certainly I know a lot of people had a problem, a lot more people, right? I mean, like, you know, there were some, you know, there was like somebody who was like the editor of a lefty magazine, you know, uh, <laughs> not Bhaskar Nathan, uh, who was upset about the Charlie Kirk thing, but, um, you know, that was less controversial. Certainly the Rogan one was, was much more so because that's not a debate at all. Like the Kirk thing is, or like this was in Texas, this, that's, um, you know, that's just a discussion, right. Uh, with somebody who I don't really see as an ideological enemy. I see as a guy who's right about some stuff or wrong about other stuff. 
and, you know, and, and is willing to, you know, should definitely have more leftists on his platform. You know, that's a criticism that I would certainly make, but, you know, but is at least willing to, you know, he does have people like on me on, you know, hear us out. Um, and I was trying to have about the same discussion with Charlie that I would hope that a grassroots socialist would have with like, you know, their cousin, their coworker, their brother-in-law who might not wear a mask at the grocery store and might have, you know, somewhat reactionary impulses on some issues, but certainly not be a you know, raging, hateful bigot. And, um, and who, you know, is somewhat open to sort of redistributive economic appeals uh, and is willing to at least hear us out on everything else, right? And my question is always, well, how do you talk to that guy? I hope that you don't just like yell at him and denounce him because I think that would be profoundly counterproductive. You know, I hope that what you do is do pretty much what I did, right? Try to be friendly and approachable. Uh, try to veer towards the subjects where he's probably most likely to be receptive to uh, to what we're saying, and even on the, you know, the touchier uh, issues to, um, you know, that people are most likely to get mad at each other about in that situation, you know, to sort of explain what we think and, oh, I see it, here's why, but not in a denunciation kind of way. So um, this one is a third context, and I do think that you know, I do think that, like, I can understand on a certain level why, um, you know, why there were maybe more people who thought that I shouldn't have done this. Uh, and for the sake of getting into that, I should probably back up and say a little bit about what this conference is. Who else was there? Right? Some of the other. Uh, I mean, I think there's a parent organization. I'm not sure if it's actually called. Uh, informed MMK or MK or something like that. I might be getting the wrong. I know that's the Twitter account. But uh, I don't know a lot of thousand and, you know, and, it, and I think it comes out of the right wing of that movement. So I'm kind of vaguely aware of some of this, what is going on. Well, I want to say like 2012, 2013, not super aware since I never was never really involved in like movement atheism, because even though, you know, that is very strongly the position that I hold in philosophical arguments, you know, there isn't a God, um, the idea of like a movement around that never really quite made sense to me exactly. I've actually, if anything, I've probably gotten a little warmer to the idea that there's a you know legitimate role for public atheism since then, you know, which, um, you know, I could talk about another time, but I mean, it's something I obviously thought a lot about writing the Hitchens book. Uh, but certainly, you know, certainly any, you know, not the kind, you know, where you're like sort of seeing every person who's an atheist, even if they're like a right-wing libertarian is your friend and every person who's religious, even if they're Cordell West uh, is your enemy that I have no time for whatsoever. But in any case, around like 2012, 2013, if I'm remembering the timeline, right, there was starting to be more political splits uh, within uh, organized atheism because basically the culture war had changed a lot from the sort of, you know, glory days of new atheism in the late two thousands. Um, and the idea that the sort of central cleavage in the culture was, you know, between 
like your Richard Dawkinses and your Jerry Falwells no longer felt right to a lot of people because now, you know, it increasingly felt like a lot of the central cleavages had something to do with like social justice. Um, and so you started to get something called atheism plus, which is like, I don't, again, uh, I heard the phrase used this weekend by someone who's explaining a little bit of this history. The last time I heard the phrase was probably 2013. So I don't know a ton about, but like atheism plus would be more or less social justice atheism. Uh, and this is like sort of the, the other wing, right? The, the, the more sort of like anti-woke, you know, kind of atheism. And that's where I think this comes out of. Again, uh, I don't want to pretend to know more about this history than I do. This is at best a vague watercolor. Um, and so I, and I think that my impression is that probably for most of the years, you know, there's almost everybody, you know, who was invited besides, you know, like there were like three of us who were there maybe, you know, maybe that's not quite fair, but I would be surprised if, you know, there were like, I don't know, four or five panels. I'm not sure exactly. They each had like four people on them. So that's like, I don't know, 16 or 20 panelists minus, I know there's some overlap. Some people did too, but you know, certainly I would be, you know, surprised if less than like two thirds of the people on these panels were pretty right wing. I was certainly the only leftist on mine. And, you know, even out of other panels where, you know, people weren't, uh, you know, where people, um, you had people who weren't right wing, they're, you know, like weren't necessarily, you know, people who, you know, you uh, statistically average uh, listener to this show or I would really consider to be left wing. Like Stephen Bennell, better known as Destiny, uh, is certainly to the left of like the vast majority of people at this conference because he's just like a centrist lib. And, um, and, you know, he was on a bunch of these panels, for example, where he was probably the most left-wing person on the panel. And in particular, um, there were, you know, there were at least a couple people on the, on, on these panels who are like deeply crazy, like just, just sort of like ghoulish right-wing lunatics like James Lindsay. Um, and at this point, after briefly checking to make sure nobody's in the queue, I will say my James Lindsay stuff uh, for the weekend. Okay. Uh, so, all right. So my James Lindsay stuff in the weekend, um, basically consists of two things. Uh, so the, um, or three things, I guess, because there's a little addendum to it later. But the first is when I first got into um, uh, when I first got into the conference, uh, I heard him talk. I mean, he wasn't on my panel, uh, but you know, he was on at least one previous panel, and uh, so I heard at least a you know a couple minutes of his his contribution to that. Um, and um, you know, and it was fairly insane, right? What he seemed to be hearing, although there was some dispute later about how to understand what he was saying. Um, and, uh, and then the second thing is, uh, is that I did in fact meet the man for about 10 seconds. Uh, so, um, although there's not a lot to report there, except the fact that it was like deeply, deeply weird 
because, you know, whatever, I'm a, I'm a nice Midwestern kid. You know, I was raised to like, not like, you know, <laughs> yell at people and spit in their face when they, when I meet them. So I, I shook his hand. I, I did not, uh, I did not do any of that. Although, you know, the temptation certainly occurred to me and we exchanged about two sentences and then, you know, somebody like from the conference wanted to talk to me and that was about it. Uh, you know, and it was very guarded, you know, I mean, I think that he probably realized that, uh, if, if I was going to break from my Midwestern training and, uh, and just yell at anybody when I first met him, he certainly would have been it because he has, you know, among other things, he's referred to me as a groomer many times on Twitter, you know, he's, uh, you know, pretty much everything awful. You can imagine somebody saying to somebody he said to me at some point. Uh, so he was like, he was clearly a little on his guard and, you know, and very much like, okay, I'm not going to start any shit, but we'll see what happens mode, uh, when, uh, when he met me. Um, but, uh, but in any case, um, then, uh, the, uh, and then the third thing is a little addendum. As I saw today, uh, there was a picture that was going around on Twitter, that uh, is a picture, I guess, from the conference. I mean, you know, certainly, you know, I mean, that's where he was this weekend of him sort of sitting, hanging out with this uh, actress uh, who I am blanking on her name right now, but she played Callie on Battlestar Galactica, the Ronald Moore one from the 2000s, which is a show I actually watched all of. I love Battlestar Galactica, uh, neither here nor there. But anyway, this this actress who played Callie on the show, um, is apparently uh, a like legitimately dangerous lunatic in real life. Like, uh, ironically, you know, since James is like one of the people who spearheaded conservatives calling everybody they don't like groomers. Apparently, she's like part of the sex abuse cult. Uh, look it up. Right. Uh, you know, which I certainly did, uh, you know, out of pure curiosity, when I started to see people say stuff like this on Twitter, it does check out. And they seem to be just sort of jovially hanging out together. Uh, I saw that he had a response to the, the picture, which was like, um, zoom in, not on her, on me. And I don't quite know what he was trying to say there, if there was some sort of defense to him, you know apparently very jovially hanging out with this person, um, you know, and, you know, they seem to have very friendly interaction with on Twitter too. Uh, so I'll just note that. I don't know what to make of it. But, you know, I, mean, I think, again, I think that the, at best, uh, Jimmy himself is, uh, is in, uh, the nicest thing you could say about him is that he's a dangerous lunatic. I've seen him tweet stuff over the years, you know, like, uh, um, you know, his favorite word is which means like, I don't know, liberals, the establishment, uh, everybody he doesn't like, the communists, the woke, and I see him, like, I remember him tweeting, there to be drive-by shootings, because that somehow advances whatever he
I was feeling pretty wiped out for the last few days. And, um, and, you know, when I finally, you know, I mean, I flew to Texas and, you know, I finally made my way over. It took forever going on. I felt like... Exhausted, man. I should. All I was waiting for was, uh, you know, James Lindsay answer a question. It just sounded, you know, what I heard out of context sounded like crazy, even for him. It was like something about some scenario where the United States breaks up into three parts and there's a civil war. Uh, and you know, I saw, you know, I, I sort of tweeted about that, and I saw somebody claim and. Written, in reply to the tweet that like really in context, he, uh, you know, he was just sort of entertaining a hypothetical somebody had asked in the Q and a, and it wasn't as crazy as it sounded. So I suppose even with James Lindsay, that's possible. I'll just, I'll just, you know, put that out there and you could do with that whatever you want. Uh, but I, I guess, uh, and, you know, and then I got back to, you know, I finally got to my hotel room and showered and changed and prepped for the debate for a while. And then like, you know, by the time I got there, I had a second win. I'm actually really happy with how it went. Um, really happy, actually. So um, looking forward to being able to put that out for you guys on the uh, GTA YouTube channel. But, you know, taking a step back, I guess, unless there are any calls, what I want to just kind of end with is the sort of general question of, like, you know, why people thought I shouldn't have done this, why I think that it's, like, harmless at worst and beneficial at best uh you know why i think there might actually be some benefit to doing events like this and then yeah and then unless there's any discussion i'll, I'll kind of wrap it up there gonna check right now to see if there's anybody in the queue okay so um i guess the why some people think i shouldn't do things like you know this or why people in particular maybe thought i shouldn't have gone to you know this particular event you know, it's probably pretty straightforward, right? I mean, that like the, if you're going to not.
so marginal that only the most hardcore of the hardcore of the hardcore right wingers would ever watch it. That there's they have so little reach that there isn't even a single like idly curious person who's only sort of right wing or is willing to hear out both sides or whatever who's who's tuning in. But at the same time, uh, the mere existence, uh, you know, at the same time, uh, the event is is so threatening to the fabric of the Republic that if a leftist shows up uh, and therefore offers them legitimacy, then, you know, that understand that. It seems like if you really want to say that there can't be any benefit, I think you have to say there can't be any harm. And I'm not sure it works the other way around. I'm not sure that it follows that, therefore, if you say that there's benefit, possible benefit, you have to say there's possible harm, because I just don't think it's as likely that somebody who's a socialist already, right, which are the people who like me, uh, that somebody who's a socialist already is going to become a right winger because they they watch like this Andrew Dweeb, you know, talking about how low wage workers actually have it come in um, or, you know, or, or, you know, right wing hysterics talking about grooming. I just don't think that that's intrinsically anywhere near as likely as the other way around as somebody who might be, you know, a right winger, but has just never been exposed to socialist ideas before becoming a socialist. I think that second one, like the prior probability of that is like 10,000 times higher than the prior probability of the socialist GTA fan um, becoming a right winger because they hear this, or at least that is my impression. Again, if you have a different impression, I'm happy to hear it out. Okay. Um, All right, so we do have a caller, so um, we um, probably shouldn't go for too much longer, but uh, I'm going to take Cynthia's call, and uh, and then, you know, maybe if there's one more who calls in in that time, we can quickly take them too, but otherwise we'll probably call it a day. All right, Cynthia, what's on your mind? Hi. Um, hi, Professor Ben. <laughs> I, hi, I'm Cynthia. Like I'm taking Ben's class, so I'm technically his student. <laughs> um, I, well, okay. I, again, want to stress how ridiculous I think it is, this idea that we shouldn't be engaging at all with anyone on the right or, you know, going to these kinds of events or debates. Um, I just don't understand that. I just don't understand that logic, you know, like, and I think a great metric by which we can measure, how is that working out for us? You know, like, are there, are there lots of people who are sort of wishy-washy Republicans or like, you know, Obama Trump voters or like Bernie kind of Trump voters who are like flocking over to the left right now, you know, like, no, but I also think like, Think about the, like, I love how you always bring up, you know, the topic of, like, talking to your cousin or whatever, because I feel like we get so deeply, well, I don't know about everyone else, but I get so deeply entrenched in, like, you know, my online left communities that, like, sure, sometimes yeah. I'm, when I'm, you know, thrust out of those situations with, like, my family or, like, my friends from home, I'm like, oh, like, a lot of these people, they're not, like, they're not like, oh, I'm so hard right or I'm so, you know, liberal, but they just like, they're like, oh, I never thought about it like that. You know, like if you just kind of start talking about, I don't know, like universal healthcare, <laughs> you know, like I've seen, totally. I've seen people's kind of like their ears kind of perk. I mean, I, I would say mostly too, like when I talk to my sister and my brother-in-law who, my brother-in-law is pretty staunch, you know, kind of moderate Democrat. My sister's kind of like now a moderate Democrat because of him, but 
you know, like when we have these discussions and I'm like talking to them about universal health care and the rebuttal is always like, well, I heard that people wait in lines, you know, in Canada. Uh-huh. I know. And I'm like, I w- we should have a whole kind of, you know, show about health, how to talk to, you know, people about healthcare. Cause I, definitely, you know, um, but like, you know, when I bring up certain talking points, I see their ears perk up. I see them kind of like stop talking for a second and think about it. And it's like, how else are we going to get anyone, you know, considering leaning toward these ideals if you don't engage with them and like engage with their arguments? Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's exactly right. Um, I, I should say, um, whatever, just in case it's helpful. I did write an article for, um, uh, current affairs magazine in, uh, 2020, I think, mm-hmm. uh, called, uh, the many bad arguments against Medicare for all where I got, Ooh, I would love to read that. Cause I really need the rebuttals. <laughs> yeah. Know? So, yeah. So I, I, I get into a lot of stuff like that about like the waiting times and all that, but, uh, but yeah, um, you know, basically like, you know, my, my take on the waiting lines is that like, it is actually true that there are right. some things that like, on average, like, um, you know, like for like to see specialists and stuff like that, mm-hmm. that like on average, you might, you know, you sometimes have to wait more weeks in Canada than the U S that's, that's not wrong. But one, mm-hmm. if the concern is people are going to die in line, then I'd say that like the statistics on like mortality, amenable to healthcare show that no people are way more likely to die of treatable diseases in the U S mm-hmm. and, and, uh, two, um, you know, if you're really worried about that, you could like let in more doctors, you know, from, from, uh, from like, uh, countries where it's hard to immigrate to your society. Uh, and three, uh, if you, um, and three, most importantly, like, yeah, okay. So there are more people like, you're going to have shorter lines if you kick more people out of the line because, you know, you won't see them if they don't have money. Mm-hmm. like that doesn't seem like a yeah. selling point to me like right, right, I, right. I, I, I wouldn't brag about that one you know it's like oh see you know they have a fewer people are allowed to access this so you know therefore you know you don't have to That's wait as long point. if you're one of, if you're one of the people who are but um but yeah no and I, and I think what you say about people's ears perking up is really important because mm-hmm. it's like i mean i guess this is kind of what i was trying to say a minute ago about why I think just the sort of intrinsic likelihood of somebody who, you know, might like somebody like me, like becoming a right winger because they see me debating right wingers, whatever, like seems just about much lower than the other way around to me. Yeah. Because like nobody, I mean, you know, if you're, I mean, I guess if you're like, I don't know. And like, um, I mean, I guess if you like grew up in, you know, Cuba or something maybe, but like, you know, if you're in the United States, right. Like, mm-hmm. uh, then you're in the not United States, the 21st century, like nobody's really, you know, in a socialist bubble by which I mean, like, yeah, I get, I totally get what you're saying about the online communities and all that. That's a, that's mm-hmm. a problem that, that totally happens. Right. But like, but like nobody, like, Everybody was everybody who has like serious left politics now started out thinking something else. Yeah, like I grew up my my family and my entire extended family are like staunch like fiscal republic suburban Republicans. You know, like yeah, totally. I grew up in a complete you know Republican bubble. (laughs) Yeah, totally right, and at the very least, you know, 
like even people who grew up in like ultra liberal bubbles, right? You know, they're still, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they still didn't like start out as, you know, radical leftists. Uh, and mm-hmm. so I, I just, you know, I think that like nobody's going to like be like, you know, show, you know, but nobody's going to like tune into that event and see, you know, Sean Fitzgerald, you know, bring up Venezuela and be like, oh, Venezuela, I never thought about that. Yeah, <laughs> right. And, I, and just the last thing I wanted to say before I go is like, um, yeah. you know, again, thinking about it strategically, like this is where they have, like, this is their weak point is the economic argument because said now posture, you know, they do this like populism cosplay. So yeah, yeah. like, for example, Christian Smalls going on Tucker Totally. And, and getting flack for that. I'm just so glad that a lot, you know, a lot of like lefties and progressives were like, you know, arguing against people being like, yeah, he shouldn't have done this. It's like, are you kidding? Like, this was amazing for, you know, because you have to think of, you know, you've got people like my parents, of course, who watch Tucker Carlson every night. But then this large swath of the of the of the conservative base that's working class, a lot of people that work maybe in Amazon themselves and, you know, where you can um, where you can you know, press down on these weak points of the, you can, you can pierce through like the phony populism when you have people willing to talk, you know, on t- to Tucker or to a, you know, a Charlie Kirk or Ben Shapiro, if he ever agrees to debate you, um, yeah. you know, like you can, you can say, so what do you think about unions? You know, what do you think about labor worker power? You know what I mean? And, and, and they have to sort of, you know, Tucker was kind of doing this wishy-washy, like, well, you know, I was never really in support of unions, but maybe it's good for the workers to have a little power. You know, you can kind of try and... Yeah, yeah, you know, that sounds so wishy-washy. Like, that's... Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Like, and, and it's... Uh, yeah, and I mean, I, and I do agree. I mean, it was good. Like, I saw, you know, to be fair, I think even a lot of people who... I might have normally expected to kind of take a stupid position on the uh, on the Christian mm-hmm. Smalls Tucker thing, like really didn't on this one because I think a lot of people, you know, like there were people yeah. all sort of, you know, there were people who did, but I think most people kind of got that like this was obviously a win, you know. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't. Yeah. Cutting out for me, unfortunately. Just to like kind of put a bow on the point, and before you go, it just yeah. Uh, nobody, nobody's going to become a socialist, and they've like never, you know, they're like hearing the Venezuela thing for the first mm-hmm. time. Whereas I think like a lot of people, right? Like even people who like really think of themselves as conservatives, like the first time, like, they, like, legitimately, like, sort of class-based lefty politics, like, that's just a perspective they've never heard before, and that doesn't mean they're going to be, like, instantly convinced when they Mm -hmm. hear it, but it does mean that, like, you are actually, like, pushing the ball forward a little if you, you know, if you expose them to it for the first time, so anyway, uh, thank you so much for the call. Welcome, talk soon. But in any case, I am actually going to sign off now, since I don't see anybody in the queue right now. And uh, we're obviously having a lot of technical difficulties, but I think that we, I actually am glad I did this. I think that we were able to have a good, uh, a good discussion and what time I was able to do that. So in any case, uh, thanks guys.